0: Welcome to Chapter by Chapter. My name is Brian Kropp. I will be your host today. I believe that stories have a tremendous power for good, and so I write them, and I enjoy sharing them with you. If you are newer to this uh, podcast show thingy, um, the way uh, the show rolls is in just a moment. I'm going to read a chapter of a story that I have written, and then on the other side of that chapter, go into some of the behind the scenes, what went into the writing of that chapter, whether that's Easter eggs or stories from uh, my childhood or uh, just ways that you go about writing a story. Um, in any kind of capacity, whatever wisdom I've gleaned on how to do that at this point, um, you can, uh, check that out. If you like behind the scenes kind of material, uh, this is a really good uh, show for you. We have been in, um, my second book in the Pearl Saga series, and that book's called Shell Game. It is a detective crime murder noir. Uh, thing. And where we are in the story up to this point, uh, our main detective, his name is Evan Gold, and he's got a whole host of problems. And you can go back to previous chapters and find out about those. But he has discovered this pearl of unusual qualities in a flea market And he's holding on to it, and over the course of uh, a few instances with it, it rises and lowers in temperature kind of at random, and he suspects that it's uh, putting thoughts into his head and talking to him and showing him visions. And um, he has just bumped into a character named Harold Huber, who um, wants to pay Evan Ten thousand dollars to recover this pearl. Now, Harold has no idea that Evan knows where the pearl is, so he's willing to pay Evan ten thousand dollars to find it and return the pearl. Evan, uh, and and for this, Harold held him at gunpoint. So, Evan, being a, I guess a hard scrabble uh, detective, knocks him out because he's not going to have a gun drawn on him. Um, and we get to see what comes out of um, that as um, as Evan learns a little bit more about this strange creature named uh, Harold Huber, who has wandered into his office and pointed a gun at him. Uh, but we will get into chapter 15 of Shell Game right after we hear from this week's sponsors. This episode is also sponsored by Showdown in the Yukon, the first book in the Pearl Saga. It is a story of Monterey Jack Danvers, who is a reformed pickpocket who is hired by his old partner in crime to help rescue a uh, stolen gold claim up in the Yukon territory for a widow. He also finds the widow's daughter quite attractive and that helps him go on this adventure that takes him on uh, stormy seas, through caves, through forest fires and being hunted down um, in forests and all kinds of uh, great adventure. And the big question is, Will they be able to uh, rescue this gold mine, uh, this gold claim back from uh, the evil man who uh, took it from this poor widow woman? And then what kind of man does Monterey Jack Danvers turn into by the end of of the story? It is also the prelude to uh, Shell Game, part two of the Pearl Saga. And you can find Showdown in the Yukon at Amazon.com. You can also find the links uh, to that over at brianthomascrop.com. Chapter 15. Evan stared at the brown-suited man sleeping peacefully on his office floor and shook his head before searching his pockets. Harold Huber was not carrying anything close to $10,000. Evan thought the offer was too good to be true, yet he was mildly disappointed since he'd never seen that much money in one place and had always wondered if holding it would change him in some way. If nothing else, it would make him more than square with all his creditors. Once getting over, only finding five $100 bills in the wallet, he found a square, sepia portrait of an older woman tucked in there. Evan held the picture next to Harold's face. He could see the resemblance and assume the picture was of Harold's mother. Even criminals can love Evan mused as he replaced the wallet and went through the other pockets. His search came up, almost empty, and laid his sparse findings on his desk. What he found, other than lint, was a ticket to the Granada Playhouse downtown. It was a play called Yukon Melody. The Athens Gazette had said it was worth a person's time and money, but Evan did not voluntarily sit in dark rooms with strangers and avoided the different cultural events around town. He also found a peppermint, a claim ticket for some items at the Webster Hotel, and a rabbit's foot on a chain. On the back of the claim ticket was scrawled the address to Evan's office. Placing all the items back in their proper homes, Evan then pulled the snub nose from Harold's hand, flipped open the gun cylinder, and emptied the six bullets into his palm. Evan rested the gun on the corner of his desk, then he sat in his desk chair and waited for Harold to rouse himself. Fifteen minutes later, by Evan's watch, Harold began to stir. Harold sat up and felt his jaw, and then he looked up to see Evan looking at him. Evan saw Harold's face quickly realize how he ended up on the floor. As he tried to regain his dignity while working his way back up to his seat, Harold said, I suppose I deserve that. Just so there are no unnecessary hard feelings between us, Evan said. I feel I should be square with you. I searched your pockets while you were away just now. Harold quickly felt his pockets before saying, I suppose I deserve that too. He gave Evan a weak smile. Imagine my surprise, Evan began, when I discovered you were lying to me about this deal of a lifetime. The look of shock and hurt on Harold's face surprised Evan. I have not lied about even one detail, Mr. Gold, Harold said. I hope you understand I've not told you everything, but what I have informed you of is pure as chastity. Then how can you only have $500 when you're offering me 10 G's, Evan scowled. Amused, Harold laughed to himself. (laughs) I see, I see. "'The man in brown said, clearing his throat. "'You don't imagine I would carry that amount of currency "'about my person, do you? "'In my experience, you never know "'when someone may decide to rough you up "'and go through your pockets.' "'I wasn't the one who pulled the gun, Harold,' Evan said. "'Besides,' Harold continued, "'it is not my money that you'll get, but my employer's. "'Remember, sir?' "'I am but a humble messenger. "'I can vouch for my employer and tell you "'that if you help us locate this pearl, ten thousand dollars will be placed in your possession.'" Looking around at the decor of his office, Harold said, "'By the way, and I suppose I should have started "'simply by asking, I do forget my manners at times, "'would the pearl happen to be in this office?' "'Maybe it is and maybe it isn't,' Evan said. "'You're not going to say?' asked Harold. "'I don't see a lot of reasons why I should.' See it from my side. Let's say I do have it. You don't have the money, and you threaten my life. Neither of those things would make me want to do business with you. So far, there's no upshot for me. You understand? Yes, said Harold, rubbing his sore jaw. I understand, but, and forgive me for asking what I'm sure is a primary school question, but knowing I had a gun, why would you risk personal harm if handing over the item would remove the threat? It's the principle of the thing. I don't like threats, Evan said with a shrug makes me cranky. Harold laughed. (laughs) I see, I see. You have an interesting way of looking at the world. Every man should have such a thing, I think. What thing is that? Evan asked. Oh, Harold waved his hand. Convictions, principles, you know, that sort of thing. If a man has them, he should not violate them, even if there is sound logic to suggest otherwise. If, say, he values, as you say, independence over survival, his sentence trailed off. Evan felt his pockets again and smiled. He reached in, pulled out his wallet, and made sure all was well. He smiled when he saw that everything was still there. I suppose we will be in contact with each other, Harold asked. I assure you my employer's offer is honest and fair. I'm sure it is, Evan said, sitting up slightly in his chair. About your employer. Who is he? And when might I meet with him? Oh, no, 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 Harold said. That is not how we do things. It is my responsibility to protect my employer's identity. He would, for reasons I'm sure you can appreciate, like to keep his presence in this matter as discreet as possible. Uh Uh-huh. Evan felt the inside edge of his molars with his tongue. All the same, Evan said. You should play nice. I know the boys down at police headquarters. There are two unsolved murders out there. I might be able to convince them you played a part in them. I would find that kind of petty activity well below your standards, Mr. Gold, Harold said. I'm not sure if you're aware, but you have a bit of a reputation built up. Is that right? Evan said, unimpressed. I assure you, Harold nodded. And just what is it people think of me? Evan asked. That your ethics would not let you, um, send a man up the river, as it were, just to settle a score, Harold said. It was that very depth of character that drew my employer to you. He likes dealing with honest people. I do too, Evan said. Harold opened his wallet and produced a hundred dollar bill. Can I offer this token to ensure you will help us locate the pearl in question? Evan eyed the bill, then looked up at Harold. Add a twin to that soldier and you can have your assurance. Harold smiled again. Of course. He reached in his wallet and drew out a second bill. Evan took them and laid them on the desk. Evan said, nice doing business with you, Mr. Huber, and stood up. Harold also stood and replaced his wallet in his coat pocket. By the way, Evan said, I guess you figured the pearl isn't here. If you didn't know, my office was tossed pretty good last night. Even if it was here, it isn't now. The look on Harold's face revealed a poker player's resolve. I see. Well, there you go. Evan folded his arms across his chest. Assuming it was ever here, what's your next guess where this pearl of yours might be? Harold Huber bubbled up a laugh and said, "'I guess that you know exactly where it is,' he tapped the two bills on Evan's desk. "'This is my wager that I'm right. "'As I said, I like to deal with honest people, particularly when it comes to crooks. "'How can I know your boss is the rightful owner of this pearl in the first place?' "'That's an insightful observation, Mr. Gold.' Believe me when I tell you, it would be impossible for me to prove that to you. What I can tell you is that by the manner in which it was taken from my employer, you would also reach the same conclusion that my employer is the person who deserves it more than anyone else. Evan nodded and rubbed his chin. And the deal is 10000 plus expenses. Yes, plus expenses minus any advances along the way, Harold said. Is the law or anyone else looking for this pearl? Is it stolen? Evan asked. I'm not sure how to answer that one, Harold said. It was certainly not stolen in the traditional sense of the term, and to answer your actual question, no. Our fine boys in blue are unaware of its existence. However, it is a sensitive acquisition, and my employer would like to be kept out of it, Evan said. You've made yourself clear on that point. Thank you for your understanding, Mr. Gold, Harold said. Having gone through my pockets, I'm sure you know where I'm staying at the Webster, Evan nodded. Harold smiled again and said, yeah, I will take my pistol and be off. Evan pointed his hand at the snub nose. In one fluid move, Harold reached down for it and raised it back up to the level of Evan's stomach. I came here to search the office, Mr. Gold, and I'm going to do it. Please place your hands, palms down on the desk, and no sudden moves. Evan sat back down in his chair and placed his hands on the desk. Then he turned over his right hand to reveal Harold's six bullets. Evan smiled. Harold's eyes went wide and his cheeks flushed. He checked the state of his gun cylinder before grabbing his bowler and storming out of the office. Evan enjoyed the best laugh he'd had in a very long time. I think this is one of the scenes that I liked writing the most, but it's possibly the least original. I guess. So, um, if you've been listening to the show for a while, then you know that part of my writing journey has been trying to figure out how to finish a story that works. So, with part one of this series, The Pearl Saga, I wrote Showdown in the Yukon years ago, and I didn't know how to finish it, and it was a mess, and I was kind of, I didn't know how to write a scene. I didn't know how to write a chapter and I didn't really know how to finish a story that made sense. Cause I was mostly used to writing skits and scripts and uh, you can kind of see the beginning and middle and end rather quickly in those things. And you see a longer thing and it just takes a while anyway. Um, so I'd gotten some advice that you look at plots that already work and then you figure out sort of what's going on in that plot and then write your thing kind of sort of based on that plot. So that's what I did with Shodun in the Yukon. And, uh, for better or worse, it is, um, it's The Hobbit. It's J.R.R. R. Tolkien laid out a plot that clearly works. We, a lot of us, um, like that story. And so I made some uh, possibly here and there some a little too close to um the reality of the Hobbit translations of Shodun in the Yukon. So uh but the thing that I liked about um the Hobbit for that story was the scene where Bilbo is in the cave with Gollum and they have the the game of riddles where he discovers the pearl. I really like that. For what I was wanting to do with the Pearl. And the main thing that I liked about that was that the, or the ring, it played a part in The Hobbit. But when you read The Fellowship of the Ring and you get reintroduced to the ring, it takes on this whole other character quality that you had no idea. And it changes how you see all of the events of The Hobbit. Um, It's my personal opinion that Peter Jackson should have left The Hobbit story alone because he didn't start there, and he did what made sense, which is now that we know that The Ring is dark and evil and all those things now if i do the hobbit i have to make the ring dark and evil and all the things and it just isn't that way when you're reading it the way tolkien the order in which tolkien wrote it but that's a whole other discussion the but i did like both um that the the pearl could be something helpful but that there were other things that the pearl would turn into so uh in writing this story there's this other crime noir that I really really like. Um the movie of and I've I've read the book and it is also uh, very interesting. Uh but that is called The Maltese Falcon. And if you haven't seen the movie it's um uh I know it's Humphrey Bogart and Peter Lorre but I can't remember who all the other actors are. Sydney Longstreet Broadstreet something anyway. Um it's a great it's great. Just absolutely great. And I was trying to... Um, the thing that about the Maltese Falcon that I liked that I wanted to use for this story, which we shall see later, is that um, there's this thing going on in the Maltese Falcon that the Maltese Falcon is important for, but it's not the main thing it's important for. And so I'm sure as we get near the end of Shell Game, that will come up again. But that was very important. So all that to say this scene is probably a little too directly lifted from Maltese Falcon where, um, the, the Humphrey Bogart character's name is Sam Spade and the Harold Huber character. Um, uh, what is it? Cairo, Mr. Cairo, I believe is, is the thing where, um, Cairo is a paid toady for this other guy in the background, and, um, Sam Spade is, you know, is trying to figure this out, and they're trying to get to this bird, this statue of a, of a falcon. And so that's essentially what this is, and I just enjoyed, because I like that scene so much where there's this interrogation that then, um, uh, ends in the the toady getting knocked out on the floor, and then he wakes up, and he's still trying to to do the thing with the gun, and I'm going to get my my way. I really enjoy this scene. I'm admitting it's a direct lift, but there you go. Um, other things that uh, I thought were kind of fun as I was re-listening to this chapter, there was a line uh, as uh, um, Evan is going through, Harold's Pockets, Of you see the picture of Harold's mother, at least we assume that it's Harold's mother, and that even criminals can love, and there's a a movie, a Batman movie made in the 60s based on the television show for Batman with Adam West and Burt Ward, and it's arguably terrible, but it's also delightful because it's so terrible, and it's supposed to be kind of campy and all this kind of stuff, but there's a line... ...that the character of the Joker makes when uh, they have dehydrated a bunch of these uh, minions... ...and they're all this dust, and he's instructing Catwoman who's dusting up all of these uh, things. They're going to rehydrate uh, them later and it's at the UN, and it's going to be this thing anyway. Um, but the Catwoman needed to be careful to make sure that all of the dust gets into the vials because the dust was of these people that are going to get reanimated and we don't want to lose anything because the these criminals too have mothers and there was something about that that I thought oh that's kind of how touching that the penguin would have a heart for these guys moms so that sort of made it into this chapter i can't remember this is another thing i can't remember right now um But back when I was in college, I was a part of a a summer theater program at the university in my hometown, and we did a um, very—I don't know that the play was all that old, but it was hearkening back to a very old American play tradition called the melodrama, which you might be more familiar for things like um, uh, Snidely Whiplash and uh, uh, Dudley Do-Right and those kinds of things, where you've got— very cartoony, uh, heroes and heroines and victims and villains and all like the guy with the twirling mustache and the black hat and then the guy coming in on the white steed and all this stuff. Um, that's melodrama. And I was in one when I was in the summer theater program. I cannot remember right now to save my life if it was called Yukon Melody or not, but I want to imagine that it was because that's the title I decided to use for uh, this play that Harold Huber is saying, but it was meant for, it was meant to reflect that thing that I had been a part of when I was in summer theater. It also was fun because the first book was showdown in the Yukon. And so now we're watching a play sort of about that time period that showdown in the Yukon was about, but obviously this story does not go into the plot of Yukon Melody, so who really knows? But it was fun um, to actually play the the young strapping hero against the um, uh, victim heroine, who's like, you know, uh, the 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 dastardly villain has uh, taken the mine and going to strap her to the sawmill, and how are we going to get away? And all these really campy things. It was really kind of fun to do. Um, But then, uh, the last thing, uh, that this chapter uh, reminded me of was I think somewhere in the writing of this, um, I, I stopped trying to write for how I think you will hear the, how you will hear the lines, meaning there's dialogue and then there's how people talk and they're slightly different. Um, but then there's how you will read the words and emphasize the words and, If I were to write like the playwrights that I love, I would write... They're hard to read, I'll put it that way. If you were to read just a David Mamet script or read an Aaron Sorkin script, they're difficult to read because they're not meant to be read, they're meant to be said out loud, and when you hear them, they make sense, but reading them, it's really difficult. But that is what I love. I love the rhythm of how those two uh, gentlemen write their scripts. I don't necessarily agree with what they write or um, their worldviews or those kinds of things, but how they string words together, it has a very s- definite style to it, and I like that part of it. And so I want to kind of write dialogue that isn't realistic, but it does feel realistic as you do it, but then... When I get into the world of amateur actors, which most of us would fall into, um, if I'm going to write a script for my church or I'm going to write something for a community theater or whatever, I know that I'm not at the writing skill of those two guys, nor are the... Uh, actors that we're going to get at the acting level as uh, the folks that might end up in one of their uh, movies or or productions or or something, so how I started to write dialogue would morph into well, let me not write it the way I hear it, let me write it to how I think somebody might actually understand to say it so i've 've ended up writing. Dialogue not so much at, and and I'm in the middle of the third book in this series and I'm having to remember, Oh yeah, just write the story the way you hear it. And then you can always revise it. But I'm, I'm already remembering that I'm dealing with, well, don't write the characters so flat. So like in a a previous episode, I was talking about writing with an accent that if I can hear someone's voice in my head and just write to that, that is helpful. Well, that happens with Harold Huber. He He interrupts himself all the time. And part of that is how I hear his accent in my head. And one of the nice things about this opportunity to um, do the the podcast is that like with uh, Max Sutherland in uh, Showdown in the Yukon and then Harold Heber with this, I at least have the opportunity. Um, I don't know if it's right or wrong or good or whatever, um, but I at least have the opportunity to say the words the way I heard them when I wrote them. Um, I don't know how you, if you were to read the story, how you would r- hear them in your head, but at least get the opportunity to say them the way that I heard them in my head. And for some reason, this is probably pride and selfishness, but that makes me feel happy that I get to do that. Um, so I guess if you are, if you find yourself in the middle of writing a book, I think if for nothing else, that first draft, is for you. I mean, it's just you and a word processor or you and a pad or you and a typewriter, whatever you're writing with. And if nothing else it's entertainment for you. So write the thing the way you hear it, I guess would be my encouragement to you and me as uh, we move forward. If you are into that kind of thing, um, you can always revise stuff later and you'll have other people read it. Obviously who can go like, "Mm, I don't understand this, which famously, at least famously for this show, uh, happened with this show too. So, over this uh, book. So, um, you can um, take that for whatever it's worth. Uh, I, I want to let you know of a thing that is out there in the world. Um, you know, every week I wrap up the show and ask you to, to hop on to uh, the reader group if you haven't yet, which you still can. Uh, the past couple of weeks I've talked about how the system has kind of been goofy. I think that is fixed now. So if you've been wanting to jump on the reader group and haven't known how to do that, I believe that is all fixed now. If you run into trouble, please email me. Uh, my email will still be in the uh, show notes, but I've also um, put together um, another, like a pseudonym, which maybe next week I'll talk to you about why the pseudonym is the way it is, but the pseudonym's name is Paul Christopher. And, uh, I've written, I've written, it's kind of hard to say that I've put together is probably more the case, uh, a drawing prompt book. Uh, the title uh, is 500 doodling prompts, and that will also be in the links. But if you like to doodle, um, what this book is, um, there are 500 different things that you can just doodle. There's space for that, some suggestions for what you can write. And I have found that doodling helps uh, spur some creativity or at least relaxes your brain, if nothing else. And so um, if you are into doodling, Paul Christopher, my alter ego, ha- has a book out there on the Amazons, and you can go check that out as well. Uh, but again, uh, if you've read the book, pass it on to somebody else and let people know about this show and all the things. I hope you have a great week, and we will see you back here next time.